Today with Catherine Ruinala. Well, this week we, um, yesterday we had a wedding in our front yard. Praise the Lord. One of Jess's friends was getting married and they asked if they could have a little wedding in our front yard. So we've been busy setting it up and I, I did the wedding. And we were talking, of course, in the wedding about love. And I wanted to speak to you today about true love. What true love is. I mean, people talk about it in Hollywood. You get this romantic notion from all the movies that there's, there's the one. I want to find the one. My true love. You know, the one, the only. And I wanted to talk today about what true love really is according to the Word of God, because the Bible has so much to say about love. Hallelujah. It's the love that changed my life. I remember as a young woman um, realizing that I was so insecure. I had so many issues. If you looked at my background, you know, a psychologist would have had a field day trying to undo all the traumas that I'd been through, and I was very, very insecure, despite being saved, despite knowing God. But I heard someone testify about how they had prayed this apostolic prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, this prayer that Paul prays for all the saints, and how his life had been dramatically, supernaturally changed. And I thought to myself, I need that. I'm going to do that. I need that perfect love that casts out the fear of rejection. I need that perfect love that casts out all the anxiety, all the, all the sense of not measuring up. I need this love that passes knowledge. That's what that prayer is, that we may be strengthened with might in our inner being. I'm personalizing it as I pray it. Hallelujah. That by His Holy Spirit, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, made know together with all the saints, Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith, that we would be able to comprehend this love that passes knowledge, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, the love of God that so passes human understanding that we would be filled to overflowing with all the fullness of it. And I prayed it every day in faith because I'd read in the Bible that it said, if you ask anything according to the will of God, if you ask the Father anything in my name, Jesus said, I'll do it for you. So I knew I'd get this. So I prayed it in faith and my life was radically transformed. And it's still a regular prayer that I pray for myself and for all of you. Hallelujah. But it's perfect love. It's love that that is beyond what you could ask, hope, or imagine. It's beyond what the movies could portray. It is a love that truly transforms. It's a love that has in it no fear. Praise God. That'll cast out every, every remnant of the fear of being rejected or not good enough. It'll transform how you see yourself and it will empower you to... Love yourself like He loves you so you can love others like He loves you. It's a glorious, magnificent thing that is not human. But when we talk about love, this word love in English is complicated because we've got one word for a whole range of meanings. 
In the Greek, though, they have multiple words for love. I've got five listed here, but I believe there's maybe even more than that. Is that right, Carsten? Oh, he's our Greek scholar. I get a bit nervous speaking Greek here. But they've got um, things like storge love, which is familial love, family love. And that's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. My grandmother, my father's mother, would be probably my high example of family love. You could not say a bad word about anybody else in the family while she was around. She would, she, you know, it's blood. You are blood. <laughs> and mum and dad were divorced when I was just very, very young, when I was four. But on our school holidays, we'd get put on the bus and sent to Toowoomba to go and stay with my dad's grandparents. And she would put a photo of my father beside my bed and she'd tell me about how wonderful he was and tell me about how wonderful all my cousins were. And, you know, if they weren't bundling us up in the car and driving us 13 hours to go and see my dad in Condoblin. Uh, and it was beautiful, but it was, it was storge love. This, it's family, so it's obligatory. <laughs> and, and it's good. We, we've inherited it. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what they do. It's like, that's family. We're, we're for each other no matter what. So that's storge love. Then they, you can have um, a name in Greek for phileo love, which is friendship love. Emily preached about this a little while ago. And that's beautiful, like the love that David and Jonathan had, that phileo love, a companionship, friendship love, where you have mutual interests, where you have insights and vision and experience that's shared. It's um, sparked when we find common ground with someone else, where we're fixed on the same things rather than on each other. But we are, we're friends. It's a beautiful thing, phileo. Um, but unlike storge, it's more of a love that we choose. Then there's another one, uh, epithumia, that is used in Greek literature in the New Testament. And that could be translated desire. When it's meant negatively, it's translated lust. But in a positive sense, it's a genuine physical desire or an appetite. So, for example, I, I epithumia mangoes and mud crab and custard apples. <gasps> custard apples are in season, oh. Pink mammoth, custard apple, come on. And truffled cheese and chocolate. I do, epithumia, these things. And that's okay, that's not a bad thing. But on the negative side, it could be, you could use that word for lust or self-seeking. There's another word, eros, which we get our word erotic, or it's, a, it's the romantic love, the sexual love. It goes beyond mere sensual or physical desire. It's present with or without epithumia. And it's a powerful identification with another person, where two lovers experiencing eros, they're occupied with each other, preoccupied, sometimes even obsessed with each other. It's that emotional love that, that can ebb and flow, just as emotions ebb and flow. And it's the sort of love you can fall into. But if you can fall into love, I like how Chris Vallotton puts it, you can also fall out of it. So, but it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's often the spark at the beginning of a relationship. I remember when I first started dating Tom when I was just 18. 
and he was 22. It's that, it's that spark that makes you, when you're on the phone, say, you hang up first. No, you, you hang up first. <laughs> I would sit there in silence just in case someone else said something, in case they said something else. And it's a good thing. But if a relationship is built on that spark, that feeling, pretty soon, with the ebbs and flows of emotions, you can find yourself in that place of, you've lost that love and feeling. And when I was, um, I think after we'd been dating for about nine months, the youth group went on a trip to Brazil. And while I was in Brazil, there was a nice Brazilian fellow that started paying me attention. And I was like, oh, oh, I have feelings. Oh, this is terrible. So I went to Tom and I said, we better pause this relationship because I'm confused. I have feelings for someone else. And we paused for a few days. <laughs> because after a few days, Tom came to me and he just said, you know, I think love is supposed to be a choice, not just a feeling. I went, well, I'll think about that. And within a couple of days, oh, oh, I do like him. I do like him. And praise God, we have to understand. Two years later, he asked me to marry him and it was just wonderful. Praise God. But I see couples that are like, we fell out of love. And I think, this is ridiculous. If you, if you think true love is just this spark, then you've missed what love really is. Now, a lot of what the world calls true love is actually just emotional love. It's, it's this eros love or epithumia love or the two of them together. And it's, it's the, the idea that the love songs come from. I can't live if living is without you. You know, those, those emotions. I heard someone say, you know, I'm so in love. She makes all the love songs make sense. <laughs> You're always on my mind. <laughs> crazy obsessed. But you know, sadly, I've seen those same people then turn violently jealous and have terrible tempers. And sometimes those who experience these extremes of the emotions can also have extreme anger issues. Or if that love isn't based in God, then it is an emotion that is not a solid ground on which we can build. Second Samuel chapter 13 actually shows us a negative side of that sort of love. It's the story of Absalom's son, um, Amnon. You can pick it up in verse 1. It says this, After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. This is his half-sister. Amnon was so distressed over his sister, Tamar, that he became sick, for she was a virgin, and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. He was lovestruck. He was obsessed. I can't, I can't function. I've got to have her. I'm in love. Do something. And so his servant devised a plan 
to make him pretend that he was sick and got her to come and cook some food in his presence. And it's a horrible story. It's a terrible story. He, he tricked her into doing that and then he raped her. And then it says in verse 15, then Amnon hated her exceedingly so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, arise and be gone. And sadly, we also hear all the love songs about the broken hearts because people have based their relationships on this eros epithumia that is like, ah, feelings. But feelings are deceptive. Feelings are wonderful, but they are not a foundation for true relationship. True love is not driven by emotion and selfish desire. It's not dependent on emotions. It's a willing, self-sacrificing choice that doesn't seek its own. It's agape love. That's the next word, the, the highest form of love that there is. God's love, it's divine. It's the love that he gives to us that empowers us to love other people. We love because he first loved us. Hallelujah. It's defined as a love that is a willful choice to put another's interests above your own. An unselfish giving to the point of laying down your life. Unconditional love that's not contractual. So for example, contractual love is if you're faithful to me, I'll be faithful to you. If you make me feel good, uh, if you make me feel loved, I will make you feel loved. If you are kind to me, I'll be kind to you. If you are good to me, I'll be good to you. But that's not what agape love is. It's an unconditional love where God is faithful even when we are faithless. Hallelujah. It's an unconditional love that gives to those that hate him. It's a love that is supernatural, that passes human understanding, makes no sense. It's a love that is better than we feel like we deserve. Hallelujah. It's this supernatural agape love. It talks about it in 1 Corinthians 13, which is the passage I read at the wedding yesterday. It says here in verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. It's talking about agape love here. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not easily angered. It's not self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrongs. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He makes no mention of past sins. Hallelujah. Throws them into the sea of his forgetfulness. We can have boldness on the day of judgment because, hallelujah, he has forgiven us. And now as he is, so are we in this world. Hallelujah. It's, it requires a supernatural revelation to understand a love that does, doesn't keep record of wrongs. A love that doesn't... Bring it up again when there's an argument. 
a love that doesn't have a record of past wrongs so that the next one will be the straw that breaks the camel's back because there's no pile. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And love never fails. Hallelujah. It is this glorious agape love that loves us when we don't deserve it, that loves us, that it's the goodness and kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's love that's patient. When I'm cranky and Tom... Tom's just kind and does something to help me and and doesn't react. I always appreciate it when he doesn't react. Oh, man, that speaks volumes to me. When I know he is well within his rights to serve it back and he doesn't and he's kind instead, it's the fastest way to bring me to repentance. Absolutely. He, He got advice when he was 18 from a Finnish man who said to him, Tom, I want to give you relationship advice. Here it is. When you find a lady, the best way to win an argument is to apologize first. And then you'll always win. The first one to apologize always wins. And he, he, he understands, you know, that being patient, being kind has far more power than retaliating. A gentle answer turns away wrath. James Graham James and Michelle, they are just um, so beautiful in their, in their relationship. They met and married so quickly because they just fell in love and have been consistent. And I asked them one day about their love relationship. And James said this. He said, it's like a, you know, when you have an argument, it's a bit like, think about it like a tennis match. And one serves the ball. And in a normal situation, the other person hits it right back and you start having a back and two. But he says, what we need to do instead is just drop the racket and run around the other side and say, I'm on your side. And it's true. I've, oh, I've often thought about that example because it's, it's beautiful. And when we, I was talking to Tom about that. He goes, yes, when you play the game of love, it's love all. It's like, oh, sweetheart. think I can do dad jokes and keep a straight face, actually. But a gentle answer does turn away wrath. It's the truth. And it, it helps you recognize, hey, 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 that's right. That's what love looks like. Oh, I remember who I am. I remember who I'm called to be. I remember, oh, yes, good. the goodness and kindness of God brings us to repentance. Hallelujah. And this is how God treats us. Someone said to me the other day, you, you said to me the other day, I who does that? As in, just forgives and keeps no record of wrongs. And I thought about it. Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. He loves. He forgives. He doesn't hold things against people. He doesn't, he doesn't back into. He doesn't pile it up and, you know, think the next thing and we're done. He forgives and he forgets and he never, ever brings it up again. Hallelujah. Our wonderful Jesus. I look at that passage and I get, I get so inspired. Because this 
this isn't a measuring thing that we have to try and measure up to. Okay, I've got to try and be more patient, more kind. We love because he first loved us. He put his love in our hearts. He sheds his love abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And this is why he asks us to pray, to be filled continually to overflowing with all the fullness. Because it's only by being filled with this love that looks at you unconditionally and adores you. When you know full well he should be looking at you with disapproval or annoyance, and he looks at you and loves you, melts your heart and brings you to repentance. He looks at you and is always happy to see you. When you are daily fellowshipping with this one that loves you more than life, when you are supernaturally being filled up to overflowing with this supernatural love that casts out all fear, that brings you into a place of supernatural security. Hallelujah then you are free then to be able to love like he loves. And it's defined for us. It's love that's patient. You're able to actually be patience personified because it's no longer you. As a believer in Jesus, it's no longer you who lives, but God who is love, who lives in you. So you, by faith, can clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. You can bear with one another and forgive any grievance that you might have against one another. Forgiving as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Colossians 3, hallelujah. This magnificent love that is continuously, gloriously patient, hallelujah. This, this sort of love is something that the world is wanting to see. It's the love that can turn the other cheek. It's the love that, that doesn't defend itself, but is more interested in the person, more interested in their well-being, more interested in their good. How can I be a blessing? How can I love? How can I be kind? Hallelujah. As they see that love, they see God. Hallelujah. For he is good and he is love. So our job as believers is to receive love and give it away. All these other forms of love, they're, they're a good thing. But without this agape love, they can turn negative. Without agape love, we don't experience or allow others to experience true love, perfect love. You know, that if you're looking for the perfect one, the one that is going, there's only one, I know, the movies told me, there is the one, I'm waiting for the one. And you think you might have found the one, but then, oh, but I don't know, do I still have feelings? I don't know, do I have feelings? Feelings, I've got feelings everywhere. Oh, I'm so confused. I've had so many young young people come to me and say, Pastor, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if I should marry this one or not. I don't I don't know if I should be serious about this relationship or not. I I mean and after a while, after they've said it so many times, I say, just choose one. Oh, but 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 what if it's not the one? Well, if you choose them, they will be the one. And that's the truth. That's Tom. It's <laughs> a Tom quote. If you choose them, they will be the one. In the Bible, I don't see, I don't see, you know, um, 
married couples twisting themselves up in concern. Well, I don't know. Is she the one? Is he the one? I don't know. Is he the one? I don't know. I don't know. Have I got the feelings? I don't see it in, in the Bible as being the reason, the thing, the reason. Love is a choice. And the feelings are wonderful, but they ebb and flow just like any emotion. But if instead you can receive the agape love, the perfect love of God, God will then come into every relationship you have and make it sweeter and richer and more solid and more stable than you've ever understood because you are gushing and overflowing, being already filled with the love of God that passes knowledge. His love is glorious. It's significant. It's so beautiful. If you're looking for your partner to fill all the needs of love, then you actually, you've missed what true love is. Your job is to receive love from God and then to let that go and love others with the same love that he's loving you with. And as you sow, you'll begin to reap. Hallelujah.